My research showed really clearly that there's a whole lot of stuff that's not about the surgery and we're not providing the kinds of support for people to thrive and flourish. The surgery is an excellent tool. However, there's a lot of stuff that we don't know what we don't know. Welcome to the Australian Weight Loss Surgery Podcast, where every two weeks we explore all the aspects of the weight loss surgery journey. We'll hear from a range of experts, including bariatric surgeons, psychologists, patients, and dietitians, sharing up-to-date informative advice to help fast-track your long-term weight loss success. Welcome back to the Australian Weight Loss Surgery Podcast. My name's Jackie Lewis. I'm your host. I'm the clinical nutritionist at BN Healthy. Every fortnight, we come together with a special guest who has some fabulous offerings to share with the bariatric community. And our aim is to open your eyes, I suppose, to a range of different methods of thriving and doing fantastic things after weight loss surgery. Today, we'll talk with Kate Berridge. Our kind of word we bandy around is called flourishing after weight loss surgery, and we explore that in a kind of a really deep sense. And I think it's a wonderful word to apply to this journey, looking at flourishing rather than just surviving. And Kate actually walks us through the differences. Kate's got a background. She was a bariatric nurse for many years. She's from New Zealand and now has her own bariatric support business of her own and runs weekend retreats. One of them is called A Weekend with Kate where she kind of explores the other parts of the journey as far as weight loss surgery goes and is able to bring about some fantastic advancements in your self-care and your self-belief. A very warm welcome to Kate Berridge. Thank you. Thank you for coming and thanks for being on the show. Firstly, tell me, there's a really interesting and wise backstory to your now place in the bariatric world. Can you tell me a little bit about how that all panned out for you and where were you and where are you now? What's evolved for you, Kate Berridge? Okay, there's been quite an evolution. So I moved into the bariatric metabolic space in 2007 and set up New Zealand's first publicly funded weight loss surgery program. So that was a lot like COVID in that it was like building the plane and flying it at the same time. So There was me and there was a private surgeon and maybe another two sort of private surgeons. So it was really early kind of, I'm going to say cowboy sort of stuff. (laughs) And it was really exciting, but it also, man, my learning was stratospheric and it was immediate, hit the ground running and immediately so many of my long held beliefs just got smashed out of the park. and. That was really great. So that sort of sent me to go and do my further study. I went and did my master's. And in my master's, I first of all looked at the nutrition. And I was like, yeah, no, it's not really about the nutrition. And then I looked at the exercise. And I was like, yep, exercise is great, but it's not really about the exercise. And then I went and looked and did some mental health papers. And I started to get warmer. And I was like, okay, so this is big. And then I sort of wanted to look at addiction and I was told that I didn't work in an area that was related to addiction. I was like, hmm. So then I sort of started to look at the bigger, wider socio kinds of situations. And then I ended up asking a question for my dissertation that said, 
what are the factors that affect success long-term post-weight loss surgery? And that's when things kind of just cracked open hugely for me. And that's around 2015, 2016. And my research showed really clearly that there's a whole lot of stuff that's not about the surgery and we're not providing the kinds of support for people to thrive and flourish. The surgery is an excellent tool. However, there's a lot of stuff that we don't know what we don't know. So I tried to get my surgeons, I tried to get the bigger world of the DHB that I was working in to really educate GPs and provide support long-term. It was really like me hitting my head against a brick wall. So eventually I said, you know what, guys, my research has said this. And as a healthcare professional, first do no harm. That is my value set. And I really felt that we were doing harm by not providing a safety net and providing really appropriate long-term support. So I basically, at age 50, decided to set up my own business and provide that support. So that was 2016. We're in 2023, and I'm still here, and it's still evolving, but I really sit in a space, I think, A, as an advocate, and B, as a place where people can, if things are falling over, the things that they didn't know they didn't know, I'm kind of that safety gap. Because I'm a nurse, I'm really good at triage. I've got mental health skills. I've got enough understanding about diet and exercise that I can work in that middle space between physiology and psychology, but I can triage to the appropriate people if I don't have the skills. And that's the beauty of it is that we are talking more about integration of all of these modalities because we are beginning to recognize that it's not just the surgery not yeah. just beginning to recognize, but we acknowledge that. And we now need to be more instrumental in bringing those together and highlighting to bariatric patients, I suppose, where to now. And finding a place like you have created would be a game changer, I would imagine, given that it's so multifaceted and that you have all of those connections if needed. But just your own knowledge, it brings so much to each person and realizing that there's an opportunity to flourish. And I'll use this word flourish because you've presented it to me. And I think it's a really beautiful term for, we talk about success and we talk about results and we talk about BMI and we talk about the scales, but we don't necessarily highlight what flourishing is. And it's an all encompassing word that I think it's kind of at the seat of why anyone would embark on the bariatric journey is to live a better life. Tell me what it means to you exactly when you say flourishing. What are you implying? I agree. It's a really beautiful word. And it didn't come from me. I actually, Martin Seligman writes a book about flourishing. And when I looked at that book, it was like a game changer. It's like, okay, flourishing is why people, they choose to be really brave and put themselves in a really vulnerable space. Because prior to surgery, for whatever reason, things aren't flourishing. Things are in survival mode. Often there's anxiety, there's depression, there's isolation. There's a whole lot of things where people just are not actually really flourishing or thriving. And so what does it look like after surgery? And it might not be, as you said, a number on the scales. It can be a whole lot of value-laden kind of things that means that I'm living a life that has meaning mm -hmm. for me. 
And I think that choosing to have weight loss surgery is a huge gift of self-care. And it's not selfish and it's not about what other people think. It's about making a really brave and courageous decision to show up in your life to do the best that you can so you can be there for the others. So flourishing is connection. Flourishing Mm -hmm. is doing and being in a way that you're able to simply do and be rather than all of those anxiety, I'll be happy when, all of that stuff. It's about being present with what is and dealing with life as it is. Yeah, and I guess it feels to me like it's that elimination of the struggle of I'm up against this, I'm up against that, I'm dealing with less reactivity and more of that kind of organic deal with it as it comes and know that it's not a linear progression because life even outside of bariatric surgery is definitely not linear and understanding that I guess and I see that a lot is people are like well I've done this and now this line should travel in the right direction forevermore now and I guess it's about kind of dispelling that myth to begin and setting correct or realistic expectations for each individual so that we realize their own way of flourishing and what it means to them, I suppose, too. Funnily enough, that was one of the things that came out of my thesis is the expectations. So if expectations aren't met, we're not flourishing. We're moving Mm -hmm. into disappointment. We're moving into spaces that make us feel that we are perhaps, we've done something wrong. And expectations are really not helpful and nor is setting goals. And flourishing is really that space where I'm able to be answerable to myself. You brought up a really good point about life is not linear, because when we sit in those spaces, we're doing what others think we should be doing. And often what I see, you talked about the struggle. There's a term that a guy called Bruce McEwen coined in the early 70s, and it's called allostatic load. Mm -hmm. Allostatic load is Like if we think about stress is when we're driving with the accelerator on and we think about relaxation, it's when we're putting the brake on. So a flourishing life is one where we have brake and we have accelerator and we're doing the corners and we're doing okay. Allostatic load is when we're driving with the accelerator full bore and something is going to go bang. Mm -hmm. And what we know from the physiology of experiencing life in a bigger body it creates an allostatic load. It creates a real stress to be out in the world, to feel judged, to be seen and judged for something that may or may not be the truth. So really, for me, learning to live a life without the accelerator down full, and that's actually what life's like pre-surgery. And when we fall into that space again post-surgery, which is inevitable, there's where the real learning is. For me, the surgery is an excellent tool. I know the physiology of the surgery inside out. I know the hormones. I understand complications. I spent nine years working in that space, but I've also come to really understand what happens when the wheels fall off. And that's where our greatest learning is. And that's not the surgeon's role. And it's also not often your GP's role. So I sort of feel like I'm here to hold space to help people fall, but feel to fall, but in a safe container so that they can actually learn the stuff that they weren't able to learn 
when the stakes were really too high. That's fascinating. And it's so pertinent that I see on your website for your retreats that you hold, it's for 14 months and beyond. And that clarifies exactly why you're in that position. It's like the honeymoon period is that 12, 14, 16, 18 months, and then you're here. (laughs) Can we clone you? Is there a way we can do that? Because I think there's about 40,000 people in Australia who'd be like, I'm up for that. It is a time where, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) technology, we're advancing all the time. It's a time where you're right. It's all those expectations of what was going to, this magic bullet, I suppose, was going to provide and then things start changing and it's, it can be a guessing game. And part of my, I guess, message in my work is don't guess. Like when things start to change and they're going in a different direction than you have either been experiencing or you were expecting, reach out then and find who can help you rather than, oh, I think I'll just try this. Or maybe I'll just go back to shakes. And I see it all the time. It's like, They're trying to find this magic, another magic to recreate that, I guess, the linear line. And that's obviously when those kind of interventions, we need to think about what's appropriate. Because the magic is actually, it's a little bit of smokes and mirrors. You know, it's when the brain has been tricked, essentially. You know, when I very, very first started, I used to try and warn people shaky ground was coming, but people didn't want to hear that and that didn't go well. So I had to look at my message in a different way. And so when it is going well, really just love every minute of it, be present with it. And what are the things I'm doing well? Because inevitably, life is going to have its ups and downs. And I'm not suggesting that we wait for the next shoe to to drop because it may never for some people. There are some people that just have surgery and just actually hit that flourishing and away they go. Those are not the people that I'm going to spend my time with. But realistically, that magic is, if we talk about alcoholism, they talk about the pink cloud. And the pink cloud is when somebody's really just sort of nailing their sobriety and they're like, whoa, I'm doing really great. And then life happens and things shift and change. So life happens and weight loss surgery shifts into a different space. And It's about learning skills and tools that you didn't have beforehand. Mm. So why would you just be able to pull them out of the ether? And as much as I love all of my surgeon colleagues, my surgical colleagues, that's not their role. And often, nor is their surgical team that is wrapping around the patient because the team, and I've been in that team, that team is about ensuring that the surgery is a success, that the patient is safe, that they're getting the right nutrients, that they know what they're doing. And once they set sail from that, appropriately, Mm. there is a great big hole when the wheels fall off. And I'm basically that great big hole. Great. And it's a great place to be. So you're talking about establishing habits and looking at what in that space when things are changing, what we might need to do. What are the key habits like pre-surgery that you see that are really instrumental in creating that long-term change. So not specifically habits. Mm. Like in creating that long-term change is we deal with today. If I had a dollar for every person who said, I'm coming to you so that I do this right. And could you imagine if I went to somebody before I had my first baby? (laughs) I'm coming to you so that I do this right and I don't completely screw up my child. Um, (laughs) Chances are that really life happens. So 
The biggest thing is to be present with where you are currently and to work with what is happening where you are currently. So the things to be really looking at before surgery are recognizing my triggers, what creates me to go into spaces that I don't feel comfortable with. But because we all really want to avoid that, we don't want to feel uncomfortable. We don't want to feel the feels. We're actually busy looking for the solution. And there is no magic wand. There is no solution. And that's why that whole honeymoon feels so like, I wish I was back there. It is a part of the process, but it's only part of the process. And learning to run before you can walk is a really good habit. And for anybody who's ever had weight loss surgery, they've never done it before. So they're going to have to learn how to do it. And then when we fall over and we break our leg, we have to rehabilitate. So post-surgery, it's not about going back to what you were doing before, because often before is all about chasing your tail and stuck in that weight cycling space. And I obviously did it wrong. And the internalized depression of thinking, oh my God, well, I'm broken and everybody else can do this in comparison. And these are huge parts of the post-weight loss surgery journey as well. And so when somebody's actually in that 14, 15, 16 months, two year, five year space, they've started to move away from the comparison and they're really starting to say, okay, so what is it that's happening for me? That's a really important space. And it's absolutely part of the process, but you can't run before you can walk. So you kind of have to have the falling over before you can dust yourself off and figure out what's really going on. That's a good point. And I think that's where people say I've failed is when they fall over and they throw their toys out of the pram in a lot of ways and go, told you. And a lot of the time it's our unconscious beliefs. And I hear it even before surgery. It's like, oh my God, what if that doesn't work for me? We know that the surgery is effective. We've seen the evidence that it works. It's what you do with it long-term a lot of the time. And it's also about metabolic disease and obesity and knowing that it's either in remission or it's active. And acknowledging that too, but it's also about don't just go, well, there it is. I knew this is, you know, I knew I would be that 0.2% that it didn't work for. What am I doing? What can I bring here? And can I look at this not ugly state, but the state I'm in, it can be despair in a lot of cases. Despair is the perfect word. And there's so many things. If I wanted to build a house, I'm not going to just up and do it by myself. If I wanted to, even if I wanted to travel overseas, I need to engage airlines. I deal with connection and other people. So the idea that we can just pull out of the ether that we're going to know how to do this. And if I just try hard enough, something that I don't know how to do, it just doesn't add up. Yeah. And I, again, quite a dollar for everybody who said this. And it's not so much patience. It's like, oh, look, I saw this person have weight loss surgery and and look, they've regained. Well, of course they've regained. It's an unremitting chronic condition that requires ongoing management. And the, the assumption that we've got something that just waves a magic wand and it's all over is really not realistic. So we're going to fall over when we pick ourselves back up. But asking for help and feeling seen, heard, and safe, and that's really what I can provide, both in mm. my shops and in my one-on-ones. And I'm teaching 
some other people to come on board because there is only me and I am growing. Is this actual allowing people the space to feel seen and heard in the reality of being shamed, of being judged, of the whole wider world's concept that skinny is good and fat is bad. Mm. And Health at Every Size is a fantastic movement. There's some spaces we're making amazing progress. However, the assumption that, well, because I've put on weight, I've failed, it's just catastrophic and it's really not helpful. And it takes us back to behaviors that were pre-surgery. Now, they didn't work before surgery. So why the heck do we think they're going to work after surgery? So it's the old Einstein thing. Really. <laughs> he knew stuff, didn't he? Was he it did. His time? <laughs> Quite a few things, yeah. 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 What do they say? Rocket science and Einstein. And so looking at this concept and how people arrive generally at the surgeon's doorstep, they've tried every diet under the sun. They've done scoured the internet for the latest celebrity slim. They've, they know how to count a calorie. They're very good at understanding that diet and exercise, diet and exercise. What impact does this diet culture have on all of this, like this whole journey for our beloved patients? This is a great question because this is after all these years, this is where I really, really find myself in understanding diet culture like my mother did the very best they could with what they had. We've moved on from that. We have some really key scientific evidence that demonstrates that that is not all that we need to do. And yes, your food choice is an important component. And absolutely, exercise is fundamental for long-term health and flourishing. Both diet and exercise are part of health. However, when we've got to the point we've got very black and white in diet culture, diet culture, it's a very narrow way of looking at what success is. And there's some significant carnage there. So actually unpacking and understanding that diet culture creates a disconnect, and that is a disconnect with self. All diet culture is looking at is how we're going to be. What I like to think of is the when we, I'll be happy when. So when I'm 70 kgs, I'll be happy. When I've got $2 million in the bank, I'm happy. When I've, when I've, and we are not living in the present, we're all the way out in the future. And because of the science, this weight cycling, this understanding that diet and exercise alone create this problem, that when the body does what it's designed to do and regain weight, then means that diet culture has told you that you're not worthy, you have failed. So it creates self-loathing, it creates a dissatisfaction with your body, and ultimately it creates a disembodiment where mm. our brain shifts away from our body because it doesn't trust it. So a lot of what I spend my time doing these days is getting people to come and be back in touch with their body because when you have ignored your body because it keeps wanting to be hungry and that's not okay because I'm not going to lose the kgs, you stop listening to it. So you stop being able to listen to, oh, goodness me, I'm experiencing sadness. Yeah. I'm experiencing fear. These are all felt in the body, and these are our unconscious letting us know what's really happening. Diet culture creates what I call walking, talking heads. Everything is thinking, 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 and we're not actually experiencing it in a felt, somatic, 
present way. So for me, diet culture completely and utterly disconnects and it disconnects from the essence of self and how do I show up and care for myself. So I spend a lot of time reconnecting people from their thinking, thinking brains and into their felt body. And it's just the most amazing thing to work with. It's so beautiful. Yeah. And it's, I think we're not even lay person, general population are not even aware of this disconnect. Sometimes I can see people feeling stuff and they don't actually even know that they're doing that. Do you know what I mean? It's like we've either been taught, seen or not heard, those kind of things. It all comes from a lot of the childhood things that we've been shown. Don't do that. Don't be silly. You're too sensitive. All of these comments that just shut us down and we just stop listening. So then when we have the surgery and we're expecting people to understand hunger and thirst and their needs. And I see a lot of patients in our community who've never really learned how to put themselves first because it's selfish or it's everybody else's turn or you don't count or it's amazing. And you know, what you're really talking about is the disconnect of trauma. And we often think of trauma as big, violent, plane crash, really yeah. stuff. But actually, if we understand, and many, many people are doing the very best that they can with what they have. But when those comments of you're too sensitive, no, you're not hungry, no, you can't have that, there's no way that that could be interpreted as I'm not doing the best for my child. Trauma is really about how it lands. And how it lands is that there is a condition, I need to meet this. So this is what creates the adaption of people pleasing. Yes. And it's a survival process. And so when people have weight loss surgery, being judged for being in the body that they are, they've learned and become very expert at caring for everybody else and really not knowing how to care for themselves. And that's my business is called Tiaki Fayado. So in Māori, that's Tiaki Fayado and I fuck a papa. So that's kind of why I've used that. But Tiaki is guardian of or care of and Fayado is self. So I'm actually teaching people how to care for themselves because that's absolutely what my research showed. Learning to care for yourself is not intuitive. After you've had three quarters of your stomach removed or rewired, And we actually need to rewire many of the adaptive survival skills that we had from childhood. And lots of people will say to me, I had a great childhood. And it's not about violence. It's not about the terrible childhood. It's how was I seen and heard? And I quite often ask people, well, so when you had problems when you were a child, where did you go? Who did you speak to? And very often, through no fault of anyone's, there isn't anybody. So the ability to self-soothe begins very young. These are not bad. Diet culture tells us it's bad. These are, in fact, really appropriate adaption survival skills to get where we are today. So it's a bit like we do need to flip this on its head and recognize that you haven't failed. You haven't tried absolutely everything. You absolutely have as far as what we know. Yes. This is the role of self-compassion. This is the role of forgiveness. 
this is the role of actually understanding that, hello, I was doing the very best I could in the environment I was. I was a child. My parents were doing the best. And here's the disconnect. So we reconnect. We reconnect with ourselves and the essence of ourselves. And weight loss surgery is, I think, the conduit to that. I agree. And I think it is. It's like the first, it's almost that transformative. The body transforms in a way that's completely metabolic. And we know the function of the surgery. But with that, I think it even starts to pique people's interests of, oh, I feel good about myself now, or I'm feeling more confident. It's quite organic. And then this whole cascade of other things can come along and we kind of go, oh, I see. And slowly, if you're listening and you're either taught how to listen or you can start to practice tuning in, you'll start to see. And then I think if you can join those dots, you can go, oh, I can see I was doing this behavior as a result of that. And then this was my response to it. And here's the outcome. And now how do I ameliorate that? Because it would be, I mean, we're talking about people who are in their 40s, 50s and 60s are having the surgery. So it's well-practiced behaviors prior. So I think also it can't be magic because we've just practiced and practiced and practiced these things. And then we expect it all just to vanish and life to go on in a different way without support. And I think if I can all people again in my podcast with saying reach out and get support it's obviously the key and it's the evidence is there and that kind of flourishing is a result of that sitting with yourself and then looking at what do I need and who can be the vehicle to help me to get there I think it's really powerful and it's obviously beautiful work too the very best decision I made in my life was to become a bariatric nurse specialist the learning and my own flourishing yeah I'm quite curious. And so a lot of where a lot of this has come from is me being curious and it funnily enough, becoming curious about yourself and how and why and being held in that space and being seen to feel comfortable to become curious. Yeah. There's flourishing, all of those things. And for me, the surgery is a tremendous tool. It's an amazing conduit. And the journey just keeps going. It doesn't just stop when the number on the scales meets or doesn't meet where you wanted it to be. Great point. And so I guess I know I'm aware of your time. Essentially, you're saying it's not really about the food. That is exactly what I'm saying. It's <laughs> food. Well, in my mind, the food is really often a red flag. So 100%. the red flag is turned up. So what's actually going on underneath that? Can we get curious and find out where did this come from and how did it actually help me survive? Mm. It's not about beating that internal critic into submission. It's about, okay, so you've turned up. What does this mean? What am I learning? And there's lots of really great podcasts. There's all sorts of really amazing people out there working in this space. and. Yeah. Maybe some of them aren't associated with bariatric surgery, but that's totally my bend. And it's really just not about the food. It's mm. about showing up for yourself and being curious. Absolutely. And so in summation, I imagine we've piqued the interests of a number of our listeners, which often we do, and they'll want to reach out to you and find out a bit more about your work and where you're situated and your retreat weekends and all of those things. 
what in this will all be in the show notes we don't just speak out the instructions of where to meet but on the website on the Australian Weight Loss Surgery podcast website you'll find all of the show notes for each of our episodes so that it makes it easier for you to find our wonderful guests and so how do we locate you Kate? So I'm in New Zealand obviously and I am not adverse to having Australians coming to a workshop not at all <laughs> it sounds like a fabulous idea. So I live in the South Island and I'm a two-hour drive out of Christchurch so people fly into Christchurch either I pick them up or they hire a car but yeah so the workshops are here for 48 hours in the weekend but I do Zoom calls so mm. literally all of my one-on-ones are via Zoom so there's no reason that somebody in Australia can't reach out and have a session because you're in Australia I'm in New Zealand we've made this work it's not a problem. I'd rather come to New Zealand myself <laughs> <laughs> weekend on the south island exploring yeah. myself sounds pretty nice we're right at the base of sort of we're about an hour's drive for a place called Tekapo or Onmaru Dunedin so we're right at that beginning bit of where all the really glorious south it island is. stuff sits. it yeah. is it's a beautiful place resolution retreats and i'll add the website and kate's socials to the show notes the resolution retreats is one that i used to work up with up in the north island now that i'm down on the south island i don't work for them so my name is called a weekend with kate oh that's nice i like that yeah i couldn't come up with a better idea I like your ideas. Okay. All of them. <laughs> Thank you so much. I think we could have done two episodes on self-care and, you know, sitting with emotions and understanding where that comes from. I know that even for myself, when I started my introspective journey back in my mid-20s, I was asked what that feeling was and I had to be shown a list because I had no idea and never been asked, never really considered. So it's really fascinating. And that's kind of what leads me to love this work as well, is that underlying is all of this beautiful introspection and growth that needs to take place. And certainly I'd love to be, I love being a vehicle for that and speaking to people who are instrumental in that change as well. So yes, thank you very much. I really appreciate your time and I'm sure we will come up with other other episodes. More than happy to come and do one about self-care, more than happy to talk about Sitting to, you know, I can talk the hind leg off a donkey. You're in good company, Kate. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. I will let you get thank on you. with your day. And thank you very much, Kate Berridge. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. And just before you go, we would love to hear your feedback. So please give us a rating and review. For other interesting topics of conversation and inspiration, come and drop into our Facebook community at BN Bariatric. If you've enjoyed our podcast, we hope you will share on your Facebook or Instagram and hit subscribe so you'll never miss an episode.